The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, church. Uh, good to be with you this morning. My name is Chris Martin. I'm the lead pastor here. If I have yet to meet you, uh, that's who I am. So we've got work to do. I just need you to know that this morning. Uh, we are back in our uh, sermon series around the letter to, uh, uh, from James. And so if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, let's open them up to James chapter 1. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, I have a hardback black Bible under every single chair. You can grab that. Uh, you can open a phone or a tablet. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be. That's on page 1011 in those hardback black Bibles. Uh, if you're online with us, there's a little Bible tab. You can Google search the, uh, the James. There's lots of ways to find it, but uh, James chapter 1 is where we are. Uh, and now, I know what everybody has been wondering all week after last week's sermon, and that is... How's Betty? That's seriously, I got more. I got fewer questions about abortion and more questions about my dog's leg than anything else uh, from last week's sermon. I appreciate it. Uh, Betty, my dog, she made it through surgery. They removed the tumor. Uh, The tumor was benign. So Betty lives to see another day. Everybody can take a deep breath, though we did put a down payment on replacement Betty. uh, So we're going to have two dogs for a while, just so you're aware. Okay. Um, All right. We are back in James. Thanks for uh, being gracious with me last week as we took an excursion out of our series of James in James. Uh, but we are now back into James chapter one. We're going to finish this chapter today, and I'm calling today's sermon "Do the Word." Do the Word is is the title of today's sermon because uh, you see I, I meet a lot of guys, uh, men and women, but guys in particular who I meet with a lot of guys who don't really take their faith seriously. Just kind of get that out there, okay? Uh, they, they care, I meet a lot of guys who care a lot about their financial standing. Uh, they, they care a lot about their hobbies. I meet a lot of guys who care a lot about their, their work or their business or, or maybe their kids' activities or, or even the Broncos, their hobbies, you know, whatever it is. They care about these things a lot. And while I don't think that any one of them, if they are Christians, would outright say, I just don't care about my relationship with God, While I don't think they would say that, I find often that there's this underlying thought in specifically young men that like, hey, one day, like one day I'm going to start taking my devotion to Jesus serious. You know, one day I'll take this seriously. One day I'll, I'll, I'll get into the word or one day I'll start praying or one day I'll serve or one day I'll be generous. Like one day that'll happen. Normally it's when I get older. One day that's going to happen. But I want to quote uh, a theologian. His name is D.A. Carson this morning. I'll put this up on the screen because it's a big quote. But but let me tell you what D.A. Carson says. He says this. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, And delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. That could be that could be summed up as Netflix. Okay? 
We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. This whole one day, I'll take this seriously thing, is a myth. Anybody who's been journeying with Jesus for a little bit of time will tell you, you don't drift towards godliness. You don't, it's not just one day you wake up and all of a sudden you take seriously your faith. No, it's a step-by-step, day-by-day thing. And James is going to counter this whole, hey, one day I'm going to take it seriously thing in our passage today. He's going to talk about doing the word, not just merely hearing the word. So that's where we're going to go today. Okay. James chapter one, we're going to start in verse 19. We're going to finish out this chapter. So if you can get your eyes on the text, James one, we're going to start in verse 19. Follow along with me. James says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to to anger. So let's pause right there on that first verse, okay? Uh, this is like a thesis statement for the last bit of this chapter. It's like a thesis statement for the rest of this chapter uh, this morning. And that's a popular verse. If you've been in church for any, any amount of time, you've probably heard that verse before. But I just want to posit to you that that verse gets taken out of context far too often, okay? How many of you have heard this verse uh, used in the context of how to be a good parent? Right? Or, or, or how to be a better spouse, or, or listen, how to be a better employee or employer. You just got to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry, right? Like around, couched around the topic of relationships. How many of you heard that before? This used in that context. Uh, listen, yes, this verse can be applied to relationships, and yet... Those are not, that's not the context of this passage. Those applications may be okay, but we shouldn't move on to application before we kind of deal with the context and and the interpretation. So we don't move to to application until we've dealt with interpretation. And and so remember, I've told you this before, one of the core values when we come to the Bible to study God's word is this. It cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. It can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. And the problem is the them who James is writing to, he's not talking to them about relationships in this moment. He's talking to them about something else. And if we're not careful, we can pluck verses out of context and we can begin to read this letter, especially the letter of James, in some sort of moralistic or therapeutic way without even knowing it. We can like take it as like a bite size. Oh, I should be slow to speak. Okay, that's good. I'm going to do that in my marriage. And that's good and fine, but that's not what he's talking about here. And we can take moralism and we can divorce it from the context of the passage. And I'm just telling you, that's not a good way to study the book. Get yourself in trouble real fast when you start doing that with passages. Taking wisdom out of context for wisdom's sake is a big problem and it'll lead you to some places you don't want to go. So yes, in your relationships, you should be quick to hear. You should be slow to speak. You should be slow to anger. But James isn't talking about relationships here. He's talking about something else. So let me reframe the context for us. Let me remind us what this book is about. Here's the context. You have a group of Jewish Christians, 
Okay, they're Jewish, they're ethnically Jews, but they have come to believe that Jesus is their Messiah. And then there's this other group of Jews in the same context, and they're the religious leaders of the time. They're the synagogue leaders of the time, but they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And what's more, they believe that these Jesus followers present a threat and a danger to their way of life and to their religion. And so those Jews move into action and they have ostracized the Jews in the Jesus community. They've ostracized them. They've arrested and imprisoned these people and they have even executed Christians. They've killed Christians. And this persecution is leading now to this community of of Jewish Christians being dispersed from Jerusalem, the central hub, and, and all over Syria and the ancient Near East. So that's what's happened, okay? And if you can imagine with me, these Christians are probably now questioning their decision to trust Jesus because it's not gone super well for them. It's not been great, right? In all this Jesus stuff, they found social ruin. They've been exiled probably from their homes. They're frustrated and maybe they're even getting a bit angry at this point. Maybe this Jesus thing isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And so James who, by the way, is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's like their pastor back home. He's writing a letter to them. He's writing a letter to them. And he said at the beginning of chapter one, hey, all of these trials that you're facing, they're real. They're storms. But God is doing something for you in them. He's maturing you in these trials. And so last week, we, we kind of concluded with this. So look, uh, we're going to backtrack. Look at verses 17 and 18, just to help us out here. Verse 17 says, uh, this is what James said right before he did this whole quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger thing. He said this in 17, every good and perfect and every uh, perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of his truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, so here's what he just said in that. He said, you were brought forth. You were, you were called, you were saved, you were made Christians, the cause of all your suffering, the cause of all your problems, of these persecutions and these trials, you were, that was done and it happened by God's own will and by the word of truth. He's just saying all this hardship you're experiencing, it's God's work that is getting you there. And knowing this, be quick to hear. Be slow to speak and slow to get angry. The context here is God's, God's, the will of God revealed in the word of God. That's what he's saying. Hey, be quick to hear that. Be slow to start talking over that and be really careful not to get angry at that. So let's read 19 again and then we'll move into 20. Okay, he says this, know this, My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay. This is why we do this context work, okay? James is warning them not to get angry with the will of God as revealed in the word of God when their lives start falling apart. That's what he's saying. 
When hearing God's word, he's essentially saying, slow your roll. Slow it down. Don't get angry at what you're hearing. Don't get angry by the word of God revealed, his will revealed in his word. It won't produce maturity. It won't produce righteousness. It won't produce the things that you are looking for. Now, the question is, what kind of anger is he talking about here? Just be slow to get angry. Like Jesus got angry. So what kind of anger are we talking about here? Well, the Greek word here for uh, anger is arge, arge, okay, which uh, means a deep-seated uh, res- resentment, like a deep-seated resentment, which is not like an outburst of rage or anger in that way. Uh, thumos thumos is, is the Greek word for that, kind of like this, this anger, this eruption of anger where you lose your temper. This is not that kind of anger. This is like this deep-seated resentment, this undergird of resentment in your heart. And, I, and it's here that I want to make my first point on how we do the word. Here's my first point. We don't resent the word. We don't resent the word. Now you might say, of course I don't resent the word, but just again, hold on for a second. James is saying, I want you to be eager to hear God's word, to hear it. Very reluctant to start putting your two cents out there and very slow to boil inside with resentment when you hear something you don't like. That's what he's saying. So it's, it's back to what I said about abortion last week. We don't start with what we think or feel. We start with what God's word says. We start with God's word. He's saying, I want you to hear the word and I want you to hear it without any resistance. But, but often people who hear the word of God get hostile towards the truth of God as revealed in the word of God. My inbox is evidence of that. I get emails all the time from from people who who are hostile, sometimes towards me, but sometimes towards God's word. Some people begin to resent when they hear something that's different than what they believe, than what they think. Some people resent when they hear something that confronts them, that calls them out on something. They're hostile to the truth because they're maybe convicted even by it. See, some people come to church and they hear me say something and they just say, well, I'm never going back there again. I'm never going back there again. That offended me. Now, sometimes that's because I'm dumb. Just, I mean, right? Like I say something dumb and that's on me. But, but sometimes there's this anger and there's this resentment towards the truth of God's word. And listen, James says, that's not going to produce what Christians are going after. It's not going to produce the righteousness of God. Don't resent the word of God. But, but when we do, when we do start feeling that resentment, and I've said it before, like if this book doesn't challenge you, you're probably not reading it. Listen, this, this stuff, I've been, I've been following Jesus actively for 20 years. I've gone to undergrad for theology. I've got a seminary degree and this stuff still messes with me. If, you, if, this, if these words don't challenge you, you're probably not reading them. So what do we do when we start feeling that resentment? What do we do when God's word starts to just grate against us a little bit? Causes us some angst, causes us some anger even. What do we do when we start feeling that towards God's word? Well, James gives us some help here. Look at verse 21. Therefore, 
So there's this transition. If you're finding yourself angry at the word, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, this is a great verse. That's a great verse. And the, the, the Greek word that's there that, that says, it says put away, that verb came to, to mean taking off your clothes, like taking off something, take off this anger. Take off that filthiness. Take off the wickedness in your heart. This stuff that's kind of this anger that's welling up in you, this, this resentment that's showing up. He says, take all that junk off and pitch it. Take it all off. It was like, uh, it's like this. My first job, uh, I've told you about this before. My first job was at McDonald's, which I think is, you know, they should make everybody do that at one point in their life just to suffer, okay? But my first job was at McDonald's. I was 14, I was 14, which is right on the cusp of child labor laws, right? It's almost slavery at that point, but whatever. Uh, and I picked McDonald's. I picked McDonald's because it was close enough to my house so that I could rollerblade there. It was, I just felt some judgment from the CCU students on that. This was in the 1900s, okay? So just uh, rollerblading was cooler back then, all right? So here's, here's the picture. Let me just paint this for y'all. I was a 14-year-old pimply eighth grader wearing a McDonald's uniform on rollerblades with a bowl cut. <laughs> like, ladies, line up, right? Like, that was, that was my experience, okay? Now, now, I was hired by McDonald's. I was the youngest employee on the staff there, and so my jobs at McDonald's were relegated to whatever the other employees didn't want to do. Okay, which led to, like, I'd have to do things that I expected. Clean the dining room, clean the bathroom, mop the kitchen, do the dishes, right? Like, those are the things that I was expecting to do at McDonald's. But then, then there were these other things, like, that were outside of the range of the normal tasks that the manager would make me do, and I just thought they were cruel and unusual. Uh, one afternoon, the boss comes to me, and he says, hey, go outside and scrub the trash dumpster, So you're telling me that I'm going to go scrub the thing that we're going to put more trash in? I'm loving it, right? Like that's, it was, a, I didn't get it. It didn't make sense. Uh, one day they made me climb into the play place with a rag and a spray bottle. And I had to clean the inside of the tubes, which if you can imagine, were gross. Like it'll, it'll make you think twice before ever letting your kids play in something like that. Um, but then the worst thing that I did that summer at McDonald's was that I had to climb into the ball pit and I had to collect any of the debris that had settled at the base of the ball pit, which, by the way, included Happy Meal toys, dried up, kind of crusty food. And yes, once I pulled out a rolled up diaper from the ball pit, the diaper pit. Now, now after an eight-hour shift at McDonald's doing a sundry jobs, okay? Um, and then a subsequent rollerblade home, I was disgusting. Not just from the diaper pit, okay? But like I was covered in a thin film of fry grease to add to my already greasy complexion, some complications, right? And, and so when I would get home, I would smell, like you ever walked into McDonald's and be like, what's that smell? That's McDonald's. 
When you get home after being at McDonald's, you still smell like McDonald's. While I was there for eight hours, I smelled like McDonald's. My mom would make me strip off my work clothes in the garage, put them straight in the washer and head up to take a shower right when I got off of work. That's the imagery here. It's gross. You got diaper on your hands. And it's time to strip that stuff off and get rid of it. Take it off. Put it away. It's a word that was used for dirty clothes, but it also became this metaphor to refer to iniquity and sin. Get that stuff off of you. And actually, if you do a little bit bigger, uh, deeper dive into that Greek word, uh, the, the root word is, is hrupas. That's that put away, take off, hrupas, okay? And it's used in other Greek writings to refer to removing wax from your ears. Like cleaning out earwax. That's interesting, okay? Get rid of any filth that will accumulate. And by the way, plug you up from being able to hear. It's referring to wax in your ears. You can become deaf because of this accumulation of wax. Deaf because of the accumulation of sin, of filth in your life. James says, throw that off. Get rid of it. It's a cancer. It needs to be cut out. That's wax that plugs your ears. It's a garment that's filthy. It has to be thrown off. See, that whole filthy, ugly, dirty mass of wickedness and sin must be confessed, repented of, and removed. And that's then how he says you receive the word. That's how you receive the word. So it's that slow to anger part, okay? Don't resent the word. But, but next, James is gonna go deeper into this second part, this quick to hear part. You'll see it here. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So now in this, this one little verse, James' burden for his Christian followers, for his church appears. He says, don't be deceived. See, some of these believers, some of these Christians in these churches that have been dispersed, that have been scattered due to persecution are deceived. They're deceived. What are they deceived about? Well, they're deceived about their faith. There are men and women in the church who think they're pleasing God, but they're only hearers of the word. That means like, if you're a hearer of the word, that means you receive it. They receive the word. They profess to agree with what they hear. They come to the church gatherings, right? They sing the songs, they lift their hands, they hear the teaching, they nod along. If they're really good Christians, they're taking notes. But their lives don't match up to what they're hearing. Their lives are filled with bad fruit. Their lives are void of obedience to what they're hearing. Their hearts are filled with anger and all manner of filthiness and wickedness. And they're deceived. They think they're Christians and they don't even realize it. I mean, back to what I had Haley read over us this morning. She was reading from the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, which is as close to kind of a, 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 a James is kind of like a commentary 
over the top of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You'll find lots of themes that go back and forth. It's really fascinating. But, but I had her read that because it's, it's like they're unaware that they're building their life on sand. They think they're building it on the rock. They think they're doing okay with God. They think they're Christians, but they're building their house on something that's not going to withstand trial, that's not going to withstand a storm. And they just continue to chug along falsely, believing that they're okay when they're not okay. This is why James goes here. You you need to be quick to hear. That means embrace God's word, but then in faith, you have to act on it. Can't just be a hearer, you have to be a doer. What he's saying is that the one who merely hears the word and has a lifestyle that characteristically goes against everything he hears, that person is not really saved. I mean, these are hard words, y'all. That, that, that person has not truly received the gospel. He, he illustrates, he goes on to illustrate. Look at verses uh, 23 through 25. This is helpful. He says this, for, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So this illustration of the mirror is really helpful for us because uh, unlike today, in James' time, mirrors were not common objects. Ain't nobody FaceTiming, right? You like see yourself all the time now. Selfies, those didn't exist. They didn't have mirrors, okay? Really, in those days, there were no glass mirrors, okay? Glass mirrors didn't actually arrive until uh, late 19th century. So like the late 1800s is when, it, a little trivia, write that down. I don't know, trivial pursuit at some point. When did mirrors show up? 1867, okay, yeah, there you go. You got it, okay? Um, but so, so, so at this point, this will blow your minds, I think people generally are unfamiliar with what they look like. Like the mirrors that they had were made of metal. They were polished metal. They were very, uh, it was unlikely that they were really smooth. And so you would see yourself, but you would see yourself in a distorted way in kind of a blurry fashion. If you ever like looked at yourself in a spoon or something, you could kind of imagine what's going on there. And so, so people didn't generally know what they looked like. We're so obsessed with that that we can't even get our minds around that. But if they did catch a glimpse, they would see it and it would be kind of blurry or distorted. And then, and then very likely they would walk away and forget what they looked like because they couldn't keep the image with them. They hadn't seen themselves enough. And he's saying, that's exactly like you who hear the word and, and don't do it. It's my second point this morning. I'll, I'll make it here. Don't forget the word. Don't resent the word. But also don't forget it. See, some, when they gather with the church on Sunday, like you'll hear the word and you'll receive some sort of challenge or, or comfort and then you'll just walk out the door and forget about it. Like it doesn't make you angry. It's just carries no weight in your life. As soon as you walk out the door, like we're going to do it in about 30 minutes. We're going to walk out of the door. And, and as soon as you do that, you forget it. And it has no bearing on what the rest of your life looks like. I mean, some of you have been listening to sermons for years decades. And every single week you do this, you're here, 
You listen, and then you're up, and you're out, and it's, it doesn't do anything. It's like you forget it. It's like in one ear, out the other, right? But James is saying, hey, don't, don't forget the word. It's like a mirror. You're meant to see yourself in it. It's meant to be a reflection of you. It's meant to change you. You're meant to see things that you need to actually do some things about. Here's a helpful illustration, okay? Uh, on December 26th of 2011, uh, I got a phone call from my mom at about 3.30 in the morning, which is unusual. Um, she had awoken with extreme stomach pain and needed me to take her to the ER. So, so uh, I did, she took her, uh, the long story short is that she later that day had a large section of her bowel surgically removed uh, and, and they told her that the obstruction was in fact a tumor. She had a tumor. Now at that point, they weren't sure if it was cancerous or not. They just said, it's a blockage, it's a tumor, we've got to send it off to figure this out. But the next step for her medically was that she had to have a PET scan. It's like a CAT scan, but it's uh, for cancer specifically. So she had a PET scan, they throw her in the tube, okay? The tube does whatever the tube does, noise and I don't know. I'm a doctor, apparently. But, um, but she does whatever she does in the tube, uh, and then we end up in the oncologist's office to find out the results of the scan, and the results aren't good. Her oncologist says to us, you have stage four colorectal cancer. We got to hit it with heavy radiation, six months of high dose chemotherapy, and then maintenance chemo for as long as there's evidence of disease. You really will be lucky to have five years. Now here's where this comes back to James. Verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says that there's this perfect law, the law of liberty, and I want to say that's just like my mom's PET scan. It's like a scan. The, the law of liberty, the, the perfect law of God, it shows that we've got a problem. The scan, it showed that my mom had a real problem. Without the scan, we didn't know that the, the tumor was cancerous. And without the scan, we didn't know the extent of the disease. And the word of God shows us those same things for us. The word of God is like a scan that reveals what's wrong with us. And this is where James goes, hey, you can't simply be a hearer. You've got to be a doer. You've got to persevere in order to be blessed. So back to my mom, the scans showed her that she had a problem, but the scans are powerless to cure her. If she's just looking at the scan and never does anything about it, doesn't go to the treatment course, she's dead. If you're just a hearer of the word, it's like looking at a scan and just hoping that the tumor's going away. No matter how many times she had those scans, they could put her in, she could be like, yeah, no, give me another scan. I'll take another one of those. It wasn't painful, it was loud, but it wasn't painful. I'll take one of those. I don't want radiation. I don't want chemotherapy. Give me another scan. Scans are only gonna diagnose that something is wrong. They can never be the cure. You can be a hearer of the word. You can look into the mirror 
but just hearing is not enough. It's not the cure. You've got to be a doer of the word. You've got to act on what you hear. That's what James is saying. Don't forget this stuff. Don't forget it. See, this is the real crux of the passage right there. That's the real crux of the passage. So, so this is the hard thing about being a preacher is because um, there's some of you in here who are genuinely hearers of the word and trying to be doers of the word. And you feel like you're just failing left and right at that. And to those of you as your preacher, as your pastor, I want to just be like, you're okay. You just keep doing, you just keep doing the word. You, you try as hard as you can. You keep falling on your face. Hey, you get back up, you do it again. Like, I don't want to freak you out. But then there's some of y'all and you forgot what you look like. And I want to healthily, biblically cause you to question whether or not you've been deceived. And so this is a tightrope for me to walk because I don't want to cause unnecessary fear for you, but I also want to cause some pain. It's like a both and. So, so if you're all freaked out now about whether or not you're a doer, like if you're just like genuinely, well, I guess I'm not saved. Better go get a job at McDonald's, right? If you're, if you're only a hearer, if you're worried about that, James is going to end this chapter real practical. He's going to end it really practically in verses 26 and 27 with three litmus tests to help us diagnose if we are actually a doer of the word or if we are merely hearers of the word. So here we go. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious, don't think of religious as a bad word. We don't like the word religion in our day and age. In this day and age, religion is a good thing. Okay. So if you think you're religious, maybe enter spiritual or if you think you're a good Christian or whatever, okay, there's, it's not, religion is not a bad word in the Bible, but here we go. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives, there's that word again, his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So here's the first litmus test to know if you're a doer of the word. It'll show up in your speech. show up in how you talk. You want to know if you're a doer? Listen to what you say. Listen to your conversations. Listen to your words. Listen to your jokes. Listen to your retorts. Listen to those conversations. Okay, what comes out of your mouth? Lofty things? Godly things? Things that exalt and lift up and honor Christ? Because if you're, if you're an obedient believer and, and you're not just shallowly hearing the word, it will show up in your speech, right? Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your speech is the first litmus test. Verse 27. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit, or, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one's self unstained from the word world. So it'll show up in your speech. Okay, number two, the second way it'll show up is this, in your relationships. Specifically, your relationships with the least of these. If you want to know whether a person is a doer, listen to what they say 
and then watch how they deal with people in need. Watch how they deal with people who are in hard times. You'll, you'll, you'll see the love of Christ in a doer. You'll see sacrifice, right? You'll see compassion. You'll see kindheartedness. You'll see tenderness and you'll see mercy. You will see grace like Jesus has showed them. And then thirdly, at the very end of that verse, at the very end of 27, it says, keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, what's that? That's the third litmus test. And it's this holiness. So it's speech. It's what you do in relationships and it's your own personal holiness, holy living, godly living. The question is this, are you growing up? Are you putting sin to death? You want to be a doer of the word? You grow in holiness. You mature into Christ's likeness. This is how you'll know you're a doer, pure speech, loving relationships, and holy living. And if you're not seeing those characteristically growing in your life, you might be hearing only and not doing the word. So let me end with this illustration. I've used it before, but as Mark likes to say, I use the same six illustrations every time. So just get used to it. In our neighborhood, there's a community pool. Uh, part of it is why we moved into this neighborhood. It's the pool that Marcy grew up going to. She did swimming lessons at the same pool that Harper's doing swimming lessons in, which is a sweet thing. Uh, but we have this community pool. We got a pool membership. I didn't grow up going to the pool. I knew how to swim from the YMCA. Gross, okay? But this pool is nice. So we got a pool membership at the pool. Uh, there's this full-size pool with like a water slide and a diving board. I mean, a deep end. It's, it's a legit pool. You can come over. Come, we'll, we'll go to the pool next year. It's closed. But, um, but the pool, there's this big pool, and then there's like this little gated off section with a smaller pool, and it's called the kiddie pool. It's the kiddie pool, okay? And the kiddie pool isn't as deep. By nature, children are shorter. It wouldn't be called the kiddie pool. It'd be called the death pool, okay? <laughs> but the water comes up to like my knees, okay? It's, it's, it's shorter. And, and the water is much warmer than in the adult pool, okay? The kiddie pool is just like, like creepily warm, okay? Uh, a bunch of toddlers in a small body of water, you do the math, okay? Kiddie pool. But when Harper was little, when she was smaller, man, she loved the kiddie pool. She loved this thing. And so she would get in the kiddie pool and play and I would just kind of sit on the side and soak my feet or something, you know? Uh, and then every once in a while, I'd get down in there and play with her in the kiddie pool and we'd splash and we'd play and I'd try not to think about the cesspool of disgusting that I'm, you know, marinating in at that moment. But, but, but you know why the kiddie pool was so great? Because my daughter was three. Because she was Three. Now, here's the thing. If you went to the pool uh, any, any given day uh, and you noticed that off to the side in the kiddie pool, there was a grown man just hanging out in the kiddie pool without kids of his own, just floating around in there with like water wings on or something. What would you think? You, you would think, as I would think, something is seriously wrong here. Something is seriously wrong. I mean, if there's a 200-pound dude with a beard just sitting in the kiddie pool just soaking. I mean, call the cops, right? Something has gone wrong. This, I think, is a good picture of what can happen if we resent God's word. I think it's a good picture of what can happen if we forget God's word. 
If we simply remain hearers of God's word and we don't do the word, it's like a grown up in the kiddie pool. It's not only awkward and sad, but it's seriously sketchy and might even be an indicator of danger. Where are you today? I don't want to unnecessarily freak you out, but, but you need to do some inward looking. Where are you? Let me just end with some questions, okay? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Have you humbly received the word of God? I mean, if your answer to that is no, then the most important thing for you today is to believe on Christ. If you're like, actually, no, I don't think I am a Christian, then then I would invite you and I'd encourage you. And goodness, I would plead with you. Listen, he loves you. Believe on him. Receive the gospel today. Receive Christ today. But my hunch is a lot of us, when asked the question, are you a Christian? You said, yeah. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, is there any evidence in your life that you are? I mean, beyond hearing the word. Is there any evidence? Would other people, godly people in your life, affirm that about you? Does your daily life align with your profession of faith? Not perfectly, but progressively. Is there any chance you might be deceived? Think of those litmus tests. Is there any chance you might be deceived about what your relationship with God is? Any chance you might be the one who looks at the mirror and walks away from what you see? Any chance you might be a big oaf in the kiddie pool? If so, James is offering you an invitation. Take it. Take off those clothes. Put away all that filthiness, all that wickedness. Clean the wax out of your ears and receive the word. Build your house on the rock. Mere intellectual assent, hearing the word, believing in some sort of ethereal way is not enough. And I'm a Calvinist and I'm saying that, okay? So should freak some of you out. It's time to do the word. God help us. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, we bless you today. It is good to read your word. It is good to hear your word. There's nothing wrong with hearing your word. What's wrong is when that hearing just terminates on itself. What's wrong is when, when we, we just become, as we would say, Sunday only Christians when we just become hearers who, who are like the person who sees the scan and, and never do anything about it. Maybe for fear of the pain involved with treating the disease, but, but it's like being ignorant intentionally. Lord, I pray against that in our hearts. As Christians, as Christ followers, Lord, we want to take seriously being hearers and doers of your word. Grow this in us, Father, we ask. For those in here who, who may not believe, maybe, maybe for the first time today, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I would direct, Lord, that you would save someone. Maybe for the first time, someone would hear and decide to do, to follow. I pray over that. But, but for most of us, I pray that we would take the next step in progress. In our speech, yes. In our relationships, yes. And in our own personal holiness, 
So God, we love you. We bless you today. Thank you for this word. Let it do deep things in our hearts that we might be more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray and by the power of the spirit. Amen.